0: I used to be chill It's all up and smoke I think it's still fun Parenting's a joke
1: Hello, listeners. This is Parenting is a Joke. I'm a seltzer gone flat named Ophira Eisenberg. And on the show, we bring together stand-up comedians and funny people to talk about their lives, their creative work, their careers, and how they are doing it all with kids in the mix. Yeah, how the fuck are they doing it? Uh, By the way, my son's latest thing is to tell yo mama jokes. That's not exactly true. He's not telling the joke. What he is doing is he's just yelling at me every so often, yo mama, like it's some sort of insult that he can lob at me, uh, which makes no sense. And it does not help at all that I keep explaining to him that it doesn't work to say yo mama to me unless he's referring to his late grandmother. It puts an end to it for a couple minutes, so I guess that's something. In this episode, I get to talk to the amazing Dr. Emily Oster. She always has great advice, but she also had a lot to say about her kids' pet
2: snails. You can tell that they're happy because they have sex. That's what I think. And snail sex is gross. (laughs)
1: Oh, I bet those mollusks are smiling now. (laughs) This great conversation with Emily Oster is coming up right after Some People Try to Sell You
0: Some Stuff. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800 333 4Kia for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10 year 100,000 mile powertrain and 5 year 60,000 mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah.
3: And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia themed podcast. And many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself.
0: Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: (laughs) Hey, how's everyone holding up? You know, because it's the holiday season. Oh, yes. Celebrations. No escaping it now. I sound all jovial, but come on. Let's just all force ourselves right now to take in a deep breath. Because, woo Or a series of shallow ones. That's okay, too, if that's all you can manage. If you're just exhaling, that's fine, too. Uh, My son... Came home from school very angry yesterday, which always sucks when you pick up your kid from school and they are angry. And, you know, I I didn't know why, and it took a long time to get out of him. At first, he just wanted to be alone. He didn't want to talk about it. He was just, you know, distressed. It's hard to see that. And I figured it was the standard, like something happened at recess with another kid or at lunchtime. Maybe they were insulting each other. Maybe there was some physical stuff. But no, no, no. I finally got it out of him. So here's what happened. He is in this advanced reading group. And yes, I know I'm bragging. Okay. He's an advanced reader. And I'm mentioning that because it is actually pertinent to this story because the other kids in the group are older than him. So they read some text, not sure what, but then they were asked to answer questions aloud after they read this text. And I guess... The teacher was giving him a really hard time because he would not participate and he was having a hard time answering this question and she even kept him after class. So what I was getting is that his anger was coming from a place of feeling punished and shamed and embarrassed. But I was like, what was this question? And I finally got it out of him. Okay, the question was... Tell me about a time you failed, but then later succeeded. And my son yelled, That is not a question for an eight year old. And you know what? He's right. That is not a question for an eight year old. That is a question for an 80 year old looking back at their life, at their legacy. That is a question. Tell us about a time you failed at something and succeeded later. That's like a jumping off point for a self help book or a TED talk. What little kid? Has that level of reflection or, or just experience, what is my kid going to say? Oh, thank you for asking. You know what? Potty training was a real disaster right in the beginning. Oh, we were struggling. My parents almost put the diaper right back on and gave up because I would just not sit on that plastic donut. But then I remember the day. It was an extra cold January morning, and I sat on that porcelain seat and took a shit. And they applauded. My parents had tears in their eyes. They gave me M&Ms. And I thought to myself, if I can do this, I can do anything. Nothing's ever going to stop me again. I just want to take this moment to thank my mom. I couldn't do it without you. Not going to happen. You know what my kid actually said? I thought this was astute, looking back at it. He said, Mom, I've failed at things, and I've succeeded at things, but I've never failed at something and then succeeded at it later. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, because you haven't lived enough years on this planet to revisit all of it. Anyways, back to the holidays. (laughs) Speaking of failure and success, (laughs) do your kids uh, have a list? Christmas list, Hanukkah list, seasonal list, whatever? List of gifts is what I'm talking about. My kid does. Oh, yes, my kid has a very detailed list.
5: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures number two. It is a comic book collecting some of the best But Overlooked, original 1987 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Another TMNT action figure from the same brand of the Krangroid. Okay. A gold-painted ring. Tell me about that. Well, my friend has a ring, and I've really been wanting a ring because it looks cool, and I've decided I want a... Silver ring that's gold painted.
1: That list goes on for another two solid minutes in great, great detail. So uh, if you want to hear more, I'll throw it in at the end of the episode. Producer Julie's seven-year-old daughter put gems and gold on her list. And then after it, in parentheses, put real. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, my kid asked for a ring. These kids are literally asking for straight-up gold this year. Are they listening to Fox News on their iPad late at night? I bet they are. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, and just it's getting in their head. They're like, oh, gold is the future. Mom, mom, we need to make smart financial decisions and protect my wealth while hedging against inflation. And we both know the answer to that is buying gold. Gold bars, gold jewelry. we got to hoard gold. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of things that are golden... My conversation with Dr. Emily Oster is about so many things, but including justifying choices that you make as a parent that are just for pleasure, just for pleasure. So now I have someone with an actual Ph.D. to help justify my choices and yours. Dr. Emily Oster joins me right now. My guest today makes me feel more underqualified to be a parent than I usually do, but I am so glad that she's here to help me guide my choices with the thing I like the most, cold, hard facts. I am pleased to welcome back economics professor, parenting data expert, New York Times bestseller, Emily Oster. Hello. Hello. Thank you
2: for having me (laughs) again.
1: My pleasure. So, you know, I was thinking about you because I read that you really like uh, board games, and I was playing Settlers of Catan with my child at home, the the kids version. The kids version. Uh, what's your
2: game lately? We've been doing a lot of cards. I'm trying to like learn, teach, like trying to do poker. Okay, poker.
1: so I was wondering, as someone who likes board games, and then
2: also as a data scientist, I imagine you would be a pretty good gambler. Uh, no, economists are terrible gamblers because it's gambling is you know you can't win. So it's actually, you know, it's interesting. So the, econo- the American Economics Association, which is like the, the, you know, professional association, they have these meetings every year. And for a while, one of the locations they would have the meetings in was Vegas. But the economists didn't gamble enough. And so Vegas like kicked them out and basically told them like they could not have the meeting there anymore. <laughs> just, like, That's hilarious.
1: It wasn't worth
2: it. Not
1: even craps? Isn't that supposed to be the No, craps uh, is No, no. I
2: mean, blackjack, (laughs) if you play it right, is like your best odds. Craps is just, just, it's crapshoot. That's where they came up with that. Makes perfect sense. All right. So what are the ages of your kids? They are 12 and 8. That's prime poker time. Prime poker time. Did you always want to have kids? Yes. It wasn't that I always wanted to have kids because I thought like the thing I love the most is is being with kids, you know, but like that was fine. I mean, I worked as like a summer camp counselor, like everybody else. Um, But I just always imagined having a family with children in it. And
1: did you run any data analysis whether or not it was a good or uh, not good decision for you of how many or of when? Of how many
2: or when. So I don't think there was much data analysis. I mean, I think, you know, my husband and I definitely are pretty deliberate in our decision making and so we spent a lot of time thinking about, like, what was the right time. Um, there's really no right time. So it's not, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, you're like, what, sh- what would be a good time to disrupt my sleep for the next 25 years? Oh, there's really no good no good time. You're know, like, September. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, exactly. I mean, I think sometimes you do sort of get lulled before you have kids into this idea that there could be a good time, like, because this is like a three months period of like, in which, I don't know, my job will be flexible or some, some way right. in which, you know, this short several month period is going to be a good time for baby having. And then you forget that, you know, they don't leave. Um, they don't, like, go off to their English boarding school at four months. Like, they, they like they stay. You know, they're just they're still stay. there. Uh, so, there was really no good yes. time. But we did spend a lot of time talking about what was, you know, the logistics and how we would do it and so on. When you say you're talking about this, are you also spreadsheeting things? Are there lists? We did get into spreadsheets once I was pregnant, but I don't think that there were, sp- and there were spreadsheets when we were buying a house, but I don't think there were spreadsheets about the right time to have a kid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But we thought a lot about like with the second kid, you know, we had a particular idea about spacing, which then we had to edit. And so, you know, I love the word. Then we had to edit.
1: (laughs) I mean, I totally get you. It's exactly right. That is my entire life. Oh, we'll delete that idea. (laughs) Edit edit. (laughs) out. So uh, legend has it that you created a complex algorithm to determine the optimal bedtimes for your
2: children. Based on age, is that not true? I think that's true. I mean, that is just lore. That's just lore. I mean, I can tell you a lot about how long children should sleep, and I can tell you a lot about my feelings about bedtime algorithms. And I do. When we were sleep training, now I feel like I'm. I mean, I said no, but now I'm sounding crazier and crazier. (laughs) Uh, When we were sleep training, my son, we had a really detailed decision tree schedule about exactly what time was like permissible to go in and like how many times mm. and how much time you, you know, so to back up, we were doing this at a time in which we did not expect him to sleep all the way through the night. So it was like, there's going to be some crying at the beginning. And then after some point, it's okay to go in and like feed him. It was like, if he's up before, you know, time X, and then there was some amount of time between feedings. It was like, should it account for the beginning between the two beginnings? And, and anyway, I guess the answer is yes.
1: <laughs> so, and, you know, I love that. To make that kind of plan and throw it out there. We did it much more just, you know, a little willy-nilly, some fighting b- between the two of us as to what we should do, depending on whatever. Uh, I would have loved just like, here's what it is. No one strays.
2: So what was interesting is we did, for the first kid, we did what you said. We did the little bit of this, little of that, little fighting, fight more fighting, little bit the you know, we kind of like, yeah. it took us a very long time. Fight with my parents, I think. Uh, there was like a whole... It took a long time. And I think one of the things we realized between kid one and kid two was that there were a much smaller number of things that we wanted to be on the same page about and that we wanted that we knew were going to be important. And that when we were going to talk about those, we really wanted to like have it out at the beginning and figure out how we were going to do it because consistency and follow through tends to improve all of those things. So that was very much a kid number two version of this.
1: Do your kids eight and 12, right? So are they going to bed
2: at the same time? Uh, no, no, oh, wow. Yeah. Not at the same time, but like a similar, I will say one of my biggest like things is sleep. Um, and I just have a lot of feelings that kids in this age range do not sleep enough. And so we are really militant about bedtime mm. and we have convinced our children that sleep is really important. Um, do you do all right, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened. Okay. <laughs> One time I gave my daughter a caffeinated tea by accident at four o'clock in the afternoon when she was in the fourth grade. So it was like an, I was like picking her up from school and I took her out and she had this like very highly caffeinated tea. At which we thought was not caffeinated. And she was up until I want to say one o'clock in the morning. Like, and, in a, you know, not like having a great time, like up upset, she couldn't fall asleep. Like we felt terrible. everybody, the next day she felt terrible. She only got 17 of the math questions out of the 50 in the like math multiplication thing or whatever. And both of my children bring this up as an example of how like, it's really important to sleep. Because this at least one time what this happened one time. OK, I don't it's not like I'm constantly took like one time and it's just for both of them. It was like so ingrained. And now they're just also, you know, sleep crazies.
1: That's am- OK. So I wouldn't say like I, I'm not going to f- do that, but that's amazing. You have, you have to like
2: use your mistakes in a positive direction.
1: <laughs> use your mistakes. So what time should I tell my eight year old is
2: um, optimal bedtime I mean, based on the fact that he's going to get up at six. Right. So you want to think, okay, so you want to work backwards. So a kid in that age yeah. range needs between nine and 11 hours of sleep. Um, so if he's going to mm-hmm. get up at six, that would mean sometime between, you know, seven and nine. Um, yeah. And so, and I think the thing is, that's actually a pretty big range. Uh, and the key is to, to sort of figure out if he is getting enough sleep is to ask, does he seem tired at school? Um, so if your teachers say he's tired and would he weekend oversleep? And that's like a big clue. Like basically if you're, if you let your kids sleep in on the weekend and they sleep much longer than their typical school wake up, then they are not getting enough sleep. That's, that's the moment. Right. Uh,
1: That sounds very sane and easy to
2: follow. Well, but then they don't want to go to sleep. I mean, that's the thing. And it gets harder as they get bigger, right? It's hard to tell your, you know, they get busy stuff comes up and they don't want to go to sleep. And for older kids, it's even harder because teenagers melatonin is at a different time than, than Mm. uh, little kids. And that's why. Oh, really? Yeah. So teenagers like the melatonin spike leader in the night, which is why they they like to stay up a lot. You've
1: done a great job of obviously guiding parents with data, uh, but also one of the data points that you use, which is my favorite, is the pleasure data, as in what makes the parents' life easier. There's all the data of like what makes the kids have uh, you know optimal uh, success, and then there's what do the parents need in this situation. That's a point. Uh, For example, you wrote an article in The Atlantic that I love. Title, is a glass of wine harmless? Wrong question.
2: Wrong question. Yeah. Wrong question. Yeah. I mean, I think so that I think there's so much emphasis on or maybe de-emphasis on pleasure and on the idea that it would be okay to say, like, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Right. And the, the wine, like this sort of this is an example. It's, it's like somehow it's become seemingly taboo and not everywhere, but in some circles to say, you know, well, I'm, I'm having this glass of wine because I would enjoy it. And instead, it feels like you have to say, well, I'm doing it because it's good for me. Right. Heart smart. It, like, yeah, like it's her heart health. It's for heart health. And it's like it's not. Like the data does not suggest that it's particularly healthy, nor does the data suggest that drinking at low levels is is bad for you. It's just kind of neutral. It's like, you know, peanut butter or something. Like just like some something's just a neutral. I don't know. It's not either right. thing. It's a thing. It's just a thing. It's not either thing. And somehow I think we've gotten into this place where in that space, but also in parenting in general, everything we're doing has to be defended by it having some benefit some like meaningful benefit, you know, I'm doing this because my yes. kid will perform better. I'm doing this because my kid, so it's like, I I went to the playground because it's fun. Or I went to the playground because like I wanted my kids to not talk to me and that's where they don't talk to me. Whatever it is, like that somehow like we can't just say I'm doing this because it is the thing that I, that I like and it comes up all the time.
1: Yeah, so, you know, to this, part of the reason I think why, you know, we need people like you, there's a reason you've been called One of the top 100 influential people in the world. But it's, I look at the way I was parented, super different. And I think you've mentioned that things have changed so much in the last 30, 40 years because there is this idea that there is a right way to do things. And it's out there. The answer is out there.
2: Yeah, that we could figure it out. We could somehow dive into, you know, what there, and there would be, and if we got there, then we would know what it is and everything would, I don't know, somehow be predictable. I mean, I think part of this is a desire for control. Um, And Mm. the admission, it's very difficult to just say, like, you could do everything the right way, whatever that means, and things could turn out badly or you could do it like just like, I don't know, like there's there's noise. And I think that's that's really hard when you care when you care so much about something.
1: But is there anything from the past you specifically look at and go, you know what, that is something within the parenting world that I wish we could bring back? Physical
2: freedom for kids. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, I think that there is, mm. as part of our somewhat good, and parts of us are very good, sort of emphasis on physical safety, we have way dialed down how much independence, physical independence we give kids. And the era of, you know, I walk to school by myself or, yes. you know, like I play outside with my friends, that's really gone away for a lot of people. And I don't think that that's good.
1: Do you try to uh, promote independence with your kids? I do.
2: And I, yeah. yeah, I do. And I think, you know, we make some progress on that. I, th- I will say there's an example of something where it's actually very difficult to go against the grain. Um, it's difficult yeah. to be the, you know, to say, well, my kid's going to walk home from school and, you know, in a world in which nobody else's kid is doing it. Because then people are like, oh, it's like, what, that's, you know, that's, what are you doing? Like, is that dangerous? You have to negotiate. It. I mean, it's like a fair amount of work uh to to do something that people don't that people don't think is appropriate.
1: Yeah, so I let my 8-year-old uh go down the street, cross the street and then buy a bagel at the bagel store uh on the weekend. He loves doing sure. it. He's addicted
2: kids to doing it. Kids love this stuff. I mean, that's the other like, kids love oh. that kind of independence.
1: But now he noticed that there's another bagel store and it's a block and an avenue further mm-hmm. and he's like I want to do that and I I'm really like I can like someone will bring you back to me with a harsh tone and tell me that I'm a bad parent. Like, I think,
2: I think I can't do it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really, I I don't disagree with your conclusion, but I think it's really a, it's really a shame. And it's actually, it's a thing my kids always ask It's sort of like, well, if I'm walking home and like, what if somebody tells me I'm not supposed, like that's the thing they're afraid of. It's like basically being told that what they're doing is the wrong thing. Shame. Um, And, and, you know, it could be like, well, you should tell them your mom's parenting experts. It's fine. Um. <laughs> don't they know who I am? <laughs> Somehow that doesn't that they're not. They don't think of me as a parenting expert. Little known fact.
1: Have you ever done something, you know, a guilty pleasure for yourself that maybe you're like, you know, what I've done the data analysis on this and I'm allowed. Okay, I'm going against the grain for myself.
2: You know, I will, I will sometimes have a glass of wine, Um, you know, that's it. Uh, I think, you know, my biggest, like, like self-care at the moment is I, I do a lot of running and it takes away a lot of time that my family would like me to be Mm -hmm. spending with them. Uh, And that is, I'm not sure that there's a, a sort of data piece of this, but I think for me, it's been one of those things where like, I just learned to be like, I'm doing this because I like it. And they're like, why don't you, like, that's it. I'm doing it because like for nothing, for no reason. I'm just like doing this because I enjoy it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you going like, you know, at
2: dinner time? Are you picking a time that is a prime? The issue is that I take, I've actually tried to, so I've been training for this marathon. And so there's like these long, like run periods. And I do my long runs on Fridays, which means that people are at school. But I like to leave early. So my kids have to walk themselves to school. And the other day, as I was explaining to my son, as I was putting him to bed, like, okay, I'm, you know, I'll see you in the morning, but then I'm going to be gone. You guys are going to get off to school by yourself. He was like, you care more about your long run than you do about me.
1: <laughs> and I, oh, I've had this exact and thing, I was but like, just at a different end. I
2: was like, well, that's I was like, no, I I love you, but in the for the morning, I'm gonna be prioritizing my longer. I mean, it's like it's like one of those things where I think I got a great, like my mother was a good model on this because she just didn't put up with that kind of go- you know, she just like she was like, Meh, that's what, you know, like because you understand it's not he doesn't really think that. I mean, you don't know what that would even mean, right? Like he doesn't really think right. that. It's just they're experimenting with like, how do you what happens if I say that? And I was just like, Well, I guess I'll be taking my run but I love you so much. (laughs) Many years ago, I wrote a piece, uh, about working, uh, and about how, uh, even though I love, you know, you love your kids kind of more in the broad sense that it might be appropriate to spend many more hours at your job because the, uh, value of time with your kids is diminishing. The has a faster diminishing utility. So the sort of marginal utility, of time with your children Uh uh, is it like this sort of example is like, basically your job is kind of about the same amount of happiness in every hour. You know, the eighth hour is like about as good as the first hour, but with your kids, the first hour is like infinitely good. It's like the greatest thing, you know, you of course you want to see them and that's so the total happiness is very large, but then the second hour is not as good. The third and the fourth hour is bad. And by the fourth hour, you'd rather be at work, for the eighth hour. And that, that somehow, like, even though you could, if you if you ask the question, which of these things would you give up, you would give up your job in a second. And it could be right. true that if I had to pick one, I would pick my kids, but also I'd rather spend eight hours a day at my job and two hours a day with my kids. And like, that right. could be optimal. I- and so that's, you know, that's... so. Well, economics for you there.
1: You know, just with all of your research, is there a way that you've done things in your house or a parenting decision that you have made that then after, you know, coming across some data or studies or doing the work you do, you're like, "Uh, I got to change this. I was going down the wrong path.
2: So I think that there are, I would say there's a couple of things. So one, one is that when I was, when my kids were younger, we sort of iterated through a bunch of different versions of discipline. Um, And then when I was working on, which is hard. And then when I was working on crib sheet, I spent a bunch of time in this like kind of one, two, three magic sort of uh, discipline space, which is one of these like counting and timeouts kind of version of this. And the main thing I took away from that, we ended up using a version of that, but the main thing I think we took away from it is the idea of just like importance of consistency. And so I think there was a, there was a large sense in which we were messing up by, by basically like dicking around and doing a different thing all the time, and that was something where we hadn't had as much of an issue with my first kid. Was she was less complicated in some ways, and yeah. we had been not doing this correctly with the second kid. So that was one. That was one thing. Consistency in itself is very hard. Yes, uh, it's maybe
1: my it's I think the it's the most thing. daunting. Yeah, but did you find that once you were consistent, you yeah, were yeah. like, oh, it we're just better. reaping the rewards of this?
2: Yeah. yeah. It worked better, but it's still hard, right? I mean, it's still, I think that, you know, for me, this kind of consistency and and sort of following through on discipline stuff is so much harder than anything else. My husband is very good at it. I'm a disaster. <laughs> but I just, I just can't follow. I like, I'm not, I don't have good follow through. Yeah. I don't
1: have good Are you, do you put post-it notes around? It's, Are you like I know
2: You know, it's just in the moment. It's very difficult, you know, you yes. know, like yelling. I don't know. It's just hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It is hard.
1: Uh, What advice do you give parents about, you know, keeping your kids safe, but also not being paranoid or irrationally
2: overprotective? What I think is very difficult about these choices is that the one of the risks is much more salient than the other. Right. So if you think about the like sending your kid down the street to the to the bagels, you can see the, and like put aside the risk of like getting in trouble. Just like think about if you were sort of worried about some actual risk. Like it's easy to imagine what those things would be. You know, I don't know. He gets snatched or somebody like whatever falls that something. Like there are a set of things which are really low probability events, like vanishingly, vanishingly unlikely. But are the things that you're thinking of. What you're not thinking about is the other side. Is the kind of what. What is being lost? What is the risk in not doing this? Mm. And so, this is something I wrote about once um, under the title No Option is Completely Safe. That sort of like locking your kid in the house and never letting them do this, that's also not safe. And it's not safe in a very different way, but it's not safe in the sense that like they aren't going to develop skills that will let them, you know, navigate complicated situations in the future. Maybe it's not safe for mental health reasons. Like, there's all kinds of potential downsides of not doing something. We are, Very good at thinking about the potential risks of doing something, of having our kids do something, and very poor at having them think about think about the potential risks of not doing something. Um, So I think just that kind of frame sometimes helps people think about, oh, actually, it's not that by not doing this, I'm choosing the safe option. None of these options are safe. I'm just trading off different risks.
1: Yeah, right. Nothing is going to be one hundred percent in a. That's a. It's almost being positive. (laughs) It's like there's a little bit of positivity there. Yeah. I know that uh, you know there's there's ways that we talk about how we should parent the North America. I'm I'm putting this in context, and you know globally there are people that are doing things in vastly different ways. Is there anything from another country that you're like I wish we did it how France does this
2: or? So I do think you know there are. A number of European countries in which some of these kinds of, um, you know, particularly sort of like how much freedom do kids have, like how much independence it it kind of change a lot. And then I think in in general, most of Europe is way less into this kind of culture of achievement that dictates a lot of, you know, certain sociodemographic groups in the U S. So this idea of like, you know, pre-professional sports when kids are nine Uh, I think that's not they're not doing that much. I mean, you know, maybe the Dutch are into like the speed skating or something. But like, like in a sort of fundamental sense, I think that happens to a much lesser extent um, outside of the U.S.
1: Yeah. So you you think it would be beneficial for us to dial down trying to turn all of our kids into geniuses and Olympic athletes uh, under ten?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that it's, you know, we know something from the data about the benefits of extracurriculars. And what we know is that, you know, there are some socio-emotional benefits that kids uh, tend to like to have another social group. And, you know, if your kid loves to play soccer, then that's like a nice thing for them to have a community where they can play soccer and do this thing that they're good at and they like. And so there's some benefits to that. But those benefits accrue in the data at a much lower intensity Than uh, the kinds of intensity that people are that people are doing, and I think it can be sort of, it you know can get interfered with sleep. To go back to my main thing, which is sleep, Um, and I think it can it can sort of get to a point where it's it's really not serving kids; it's serving something else. And as I often remind people, your kid's not going to the Olympics. So if that's what you're (laughs) going for, that's not going to (laughs) happen for you. I mean, it's interesting because I now have some friends. Uh, who themselves went to the Olympics. And yeah. so sometimes I'll be like, well, your kid's not going to the Olympics. Well, actually, your kid might go to the But like broadly, people's kids are not going to the Olympics.
1: <laughs> right. You're like, oh, wait. Oh, wait, no, the, actually. Your kid should like, get up at five probably yeah. to go to practice.
2: But still, I think they should sleep.
1: <laughs> do you have any extracurricular activities for your kids that you were like, no matter what, I need you to whatever, learn an instrument, let's say.
2: Yeah. So we had a we have a view that our kids should have an instrument. My daughter is like super into the violin, which um, wow. is great. I Actually, I would recommend it as an extracurricular activity because although it takes a lot of time, it you don't have to stand outside and watch them do it. So my, my niece is really into soccer. And so one day last weekend I had a thing where like, first I had to do a violin thing. And then I like went to watch my niece's soccer game and I was like 30 degrees and it was like nighttime and we were standing outside and I was like, wow, going to this high school and standing around while my kid plays the violin is like so much. So much I would recommend the violin. Um, right. You but, drop them off, you pick them up. Yes, exactly. You drop them off, you pick them up. That's it. You know, hear about it. Um, but you know, my, like my younger one doesn't do much, plays the, piano in a kind of light touch way that presumably we'll end up with him quitting. Uh, And that's okay. That's fine. So do you have family meetings? Am I to understand that? We have family, my husband and I have some family meetings and then sometimes like we'll have family meetings with the kids if we have to like, you know, we'll like schedule a meeting if we have to talk about something.
1: But you describe him as someone who is very good at following you know, very consistent, or you're like, here's the roadmap.
2: Rigid. I believe the word you're looking for is rigid. Uh, And yes, he's very rigid. So if he's the rigid one, does he consider you reckless? I think he would sometimes describe me as inconsistent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would ask him. I don't think reckless is the word we'd use, but uh, yeah. Probably messy, disorganized. You know, I'm like the one who leaves my stuff around the house. Like, I lost my kid, I lose my keys. I'm kind of like the person who loses their and
1: case. my favorite i got an apple watch my favorite function of it is just find my phone that's like yes
2: <laughs> no i'm like i mine really doesn't bad. have i have a Garmin watch but it will show me when i'm like when i'm like in like it's only connected in my phone or a relatively small range so i'll just be like wandering around the house like looking at my watch to see when it finds mine i'll be like okay it's somewhere around here <laughs> it's always like it's like always like in my son's like snail cage you know i'll be like you'll be like why did i put it with the snails <laughs> Wait a second. Your son has snails. Yeah, we have snails. That's our pet. What? What? Okay. Yeah, it's like garden snail.
1: Right. Yeah. I like a slug.
2: In like a shell. slug with a shell. Okay. It's a shell. It's not a slug because the slug doesn't like a shell. Like an
1: escargot. Something you serve with
2: butter on a <laughs> like toast. An escargot. Yeah, but they're <laughs> interesting. They have. Um, they they reproduce quite a lot, so you have to be a little oh, careful. No.
1: Yeah. How did the snail pet thing, so I have ne- I honestly, I will just admit, I've never heard of anyone with pet snails.
2: Right. Uh, so my kids wanted a pet. Uh, we had a lot of rules uh, about the like level of maintenance that one <laughs> needed for the pet. And Good. also we wanted a pet that would be, that would not be unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> After a lot of PowerPoint presentations in which different pets were proposed, uh, we settled on snails because they are actually happy to live in captivity and they don't require a huge amount of maintenance.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I've never seen a snail expression in my life. So I can't imagine.
2: You can tell that they're happy because they have sex. That's what I think. Like you can see, like you can see that they'll have, and snail sex is gross. (laughs) It's like, no, no. One snail like shoots like a penis out of its head into the other snail's head and they just like sit there. A
1: penis in the head? Yeah.
2: Amazing.
1: Okay. Well, that makes perfect yeah. sense because you only have a couple options.
2: Right. Uh,
1: <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait, where would you put it? And just sticks onto the female's head. They're not
2: gendered. They're not. This, oh, okay. uh, they they actually can uh, they can reproduce. H- so actually. the non-binary snails, right? The, uh, one of them shoots a, th- uh, a thing. Projectile. I guess maybe I think it is. I think it is called. I don't know. Actually, it probably has another name. Let's call it a projectile. A projectile. At The yes. other one's forehead. Yeah, if it has forehead, they stay attached, and then uh, then eventually, I don't know, some eggs. How many here. snails uh, are reproduced at a time? There are like. 100 eggs so they'll lay a lot of eggs <laughs> but then you have to fortunately you have to like get in there we don't let them hatch you just like freeze did the you eggs.
1: say freeze the eggs what kind of operation do you have <laughs> no no going not like on. for
2: later <laughs> usage that's just the humane way to get rid of them it's not like it's not like some kind of IVF snail clinic you're not doing some snail in <laughs> vitro i'm not, doing,
4: vitro? Doing, I'm not so. doing
2: snail in vitro not any not at the moment All right, okay
4: it's snails what what came second Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer, to a certain extent, is a gift. What my responsibilities are as a person with cancer. Because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts
6: hey i'm bruce bozzi On the last season of table for two we had some good times at the table enjoying lunch with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for people like george clooney julia roberts scarlett johansson and the beautiful sarah jessica parker to name a few table for two is a bit different from other interview shows we sit down at a great restaurant for a meal maybe a glass of rosé and the stories start flowing it is intimate revealing and often hilarious We're back for a second season, and the guests are going to be just as incredible. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. And this time around, we're going even deeper, and we'll have something new for you each week. We'll talk about the big breaks, heartbreaks, and of course, food. So I hope you'll pull up a chair and join us for the latest season. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear of all, and for millions of Americans, there is no greater unknown than what to do when faced with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. My name is Dana Torito, and my podcast, The Memory Whisperer, takes a closer look at Alzheimer's disease and those affected by it. Like many of you, I've experienced the disease firsthand. I've been an advocate and care partner for decades and have written extensively about the subject. Each week, I'll talk to people who've been personally affected by the disease and learn how they coped with it. Folks like TV personality Lisa Gibbons. Action is the
1: antidote for fear.
0: And nurse and dementia researcher Dr. Fayron Epps. We no longer can be silent. We have to speak up. We have to
4: share our experiences so we can help each other and learn from each other.
0: Listen to The Memory Whisper on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: In this PowerPoint presentation of um, snails were not first. I mean, they wanted a dog. They wanted a gerbil. Sure. They wanted a hamster. They wanted sure. a lizard. They wanted a snake. You know, they wanted hermit crabs. We're like we're like seven PowerPoint presentations in before we got dismissed. <laughs>
1: You have a new book coming out.
2: Thank
5: you. Another book. Yes. Your new
1: book is called The Unexpected, Navigating Pregnancy During and After Complications. Uh, you've said you wish this was a, a book that no one needs, which I completely understand. And I will tell you that, you know, including myself, pretty much on this podcast, all of the women I have talked to, uh, everyone has had to deal with something no one has had nothing some and in the you know range some of it relatively minor to completely harrowing and scary uh, i don't know
2: why it feels like it's more common and i don't know if that's true so i think it is so the range of things we talk about in this book is from kind of miscarriage to birth complications to things like hyperemesis or gestational diabetes or conditions within pregnancy. And all told, it's about half of pregnancies are affected by one of these conditions, which means, of course, more than half of women, if people have multiple pregnancies, will be affected in some, right. in some way. And I think some of these things have gotten more common over time um, because many of them are correlated with age. Okay. I also think we've gotten to, to discuss this more, which is good, although i think we could afford to discuss them quite a lot more than we are because one of the things i hear from women when they go through this is just how alone it can feel so that's kind of one part of the book but i think the other side of this is is to try to bring some attention to saying hey like these are things that might be happening to the women that you love to the women in your life to the to the people that you know who are who are pregnant and you know they are real and they are really can be really debilitating. I mean, I always think about this example we sort of talk about early in the book around hyperemesis, which is severe nausea and vomiting pregnancy, which is one of these conditions where people think, oh, I was also sick. And so some, we have a quote from a woman who said, You know, at some point, my friend texted me to say, you know, had I tried the ginger chews from Trader Joe's, and at the time, I was in the hospital getting IV fluids. And there's just sort of this, like, huge disconnect between the experiences that some people are having and kind of how other people are processing them. And there's a need to close that gap a bit. And, and also differentiate it. It's like, no, these, these are completely different yeah. situations. It's not, it's not Trader Joe's gummies, uh, as delicious as those are. Yeah, they're great, but it doesn't solve everything. I have so many
1: questions, uh, but to end this off, I just want to ask you some rapid fire. And by that, I mean, you can answer short, you can answer long. They're rapid fire from my point of view. <laughs> okay. okay. Got it. Should I get my eight-year-old a Nintendo Switch for the holidays?
2: Maybe. Uh, there's nothing per se wrong with the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I hear that they're fun. Um, (laughs) when you you think about- You don't have one? Got it. I don't have one. Um, (laughs) when you think about, you know, time that kids are spending, uh, on these kind of video games, the most important thing is to think about what it's substituting for. Um, so if you're not gonna be able to set boundaries or if you think your kid's going to be on this for 12 hours a day, uh then I would not get it. If you think that this is something they could spend an hour doing a day or whatever is the amount of time that you think they would otherwise just be sitting and, you know, staring at the wall or bothering you, uh it seems fine. So okay, can- okay. that would yeah. be a no.
1: Yeah. Okay, from
2: <laughs> my point <part> of view. <laughs>
1: okay. Do I give my kid like uh do I reprimand them or or basically tell them that it's not okay if they Say words like butthole in public.
2: Or how about "damn it"? Hmm. When you tell kids things like don't say that word, mm-hmm. it makes the word super fun. Powerful. And so you think you want to be careful. There are some words we absolutely do not say, like racial slurs. And there are, are some words like butthole, which I would just let it go um, mm-hmm. because butts are fun and people enjoy butts. Uh, they really do. And... You gotta figure out where your where your line is, um, and make sure your kid understands why. I think we often under underestimate how good even little kids are at understanding why we're asking them to do something. Um, mm. And you know, if you if the answer is like people perceive that as rude, or that's you know that could make people feel bad, uh, that's something I think kids can understand. If the answer is just like butts are like adults don't think butts are funny, like but butts are. I'll funny.
1: tell you right now. I work in comedy. Butts are always, they're always funny.
2: So, I mean, in my kids, at some point with my kids kindergarten class, they had some rule about like no potty words. And that was just a yes. disaster because if you tell kids no potty words, like that's just like potty words are the funnest. You've just like made them really fun. And so you got to be careful. That's true. Uh, okay. Having kids clean their rooms important or who cares? Certainly nothing in the data would say you should do this or not do it. Um, Again, I think it's something that, you know, you could decide it was important. What,
1: what, what do you do
2: in your house? One of my kids cleans their room and one of my kids doesn't clean their room at all. And do you ask? It the... drives me insane. <laughs> and I hate it, but I can't. It's not really like a thing. It's not a hill I've decided to die So you're
1: on. just like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Your room's messy. I'm going to tell you to clean it up. You don't do it. Oh,
2: well. I don't even tell him to clean it up because that's not consistent. I mean, if I was going to tell him to clean it up, I would tell him that, like, you have to clean it up. We would, like, work out how you have to clean it up. Instead, I just occasionally come around and throw away the trash on the floor. Um, <laughs> and, like, sometimes we'll do, like, a larger clean. All right. Any allowance tips? Do you do allowance? We do allowance. Okay. For both kids. Yeah. We do Different allowance amounts? for both kids. No, same amount. I-, I like it because it means that I can sometimes say I'm not going to get you that. You have to use your allowance. And then they will have a somewhat better sense of the value of money and what do they have to do to earn nothing we don't have a we don't have an allow we spend a lot of time thinking about this and we don't have a like thing for allowance you know, we have a set of expectations for the kinds of things they will that they are responsible for which don't include cleaning their room but do have other features um and then you're allowed but your allowance is not contingent on doing those because i think part i don't like the idea of like paying them to you know, be responsible members of the household. You don't want to link money specifically to that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so would you rather your daughter be a DJ or a big oil salesperson?
2: Gosh, that's extremely difficult. I guess I would say DJ. Okay, so living at home, yeah, that's the part of it that I'm a little bit unsure about, to be honest.
0: <laughs> a little hard. Oh, yeah.
1: I, you know what? I feel uh, a great amount of satisfaction in just having you go, this is the worst question. <laughs> it's
2: not a great question. Uh, not a great question. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Finally, just because I drink a million coffees, are you a coffee drinker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. like I feel like through the course of even the last of my own parentinghood,
2: it's like coffee's bad for you. Coffee's great for you. Where are we with coffee right now? Yeah, Danny? it's fine. This is fine. <laughs> it's that uh, coffee is uh, coffee is like the best example I have of how you can get any result you want based on just manipulating who you're asking and what else you're adjusting for. And so I think on net, coffee is just does it matter. See? It doesn't kill you. It doesn't make you live forever. It's just something that makes your day more enjoyable because you don't feel so like so much That's crap. That's
1: right. Sometimes you just have to make your own data. Your exactly. body is your data, my friends. <laughs> your body
2: is your data. How do you feel after you have your coffee versus before? There's your data.
1: Thank you so much. You are a gift to all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such a treat. My pleasure. Listen to Parent Data with Emily Oster. Also, there's a great newsletter that is full of helpful tips and also questions from other parents that you can enjoy. So you can find Emily on Instagram at ProfEmilyOster. Hey, Thanks so much for listening Dr. Emily Oster's new book is called The Unexpected and it's available for pre-order now It releases on April 30th If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast pass it along to a friend to your mom group dad group all of your groups just want to keep making more of these and that's how it happens Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts they have a new way of having you subscribe In some browsers it says follow Others It's just a down arrow (laughs) I know. So subtle. So make sure you subscribe so we can keep bringing this to you. For more updates and content, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook at Parenting is a Joke. On X, we are still, and we are at Parenting Joke. And we have a Substack. New content every week. Just go to Substack and search for Parenting is a Joke. Hey, you need to start your holiday shopping? I hear you. We've got some merch. We've got water bottles. We've got reusable Ziploc bags. We've got T-shirts and lots of other cool stuff. You can just head over to prettygoodfriends.com merch. Pick up some stuff. Just order online and we'll ship it right to you. Great gifts for some parents in your life. You can follow me everywhere at Ophira E. Come see me live in Wilmington, Delaware. I'll be there December 9th at 8 p.m. at the beautiful Arden Guild Hall. So come out and see that, and we'll see you next Tuesday right here with a new episode. Our episode is produced by me and Julie smith Clem. Our editor is Nina Porzuki. Our sound designer is Tina Toby mac Our digital marketing is done by Laura Vogel. Our video editor is Melissa Weiss. Our theme song and music is done by Adir Amram and The Experience. Special thanks to all of the engineers at CityVox and our overly qualified intern, Jeffrey Kaufman. And now, a little more of Lucas reading his holiday list.
5: One, U-Trom action figure. Two, a D&D monster manual. Just... Three, a Roblox noob meme playset. Four, Investigators number seven. Five, look, look. wireless headphones. Six, Hooky number two. Seven, Usagi Jimbo number two. How many more things? This is a lot of things. There's still more. What? We have a vampire action figure, it's just a normal vampire. Doesn't, not specific. A notebook, cause my doodle one is running out. Okay. And Max and the Midnight's too. It is a sort of chapter book mm-hmm. that was made by the creators of Big Nate and is also drawn the same as Big Nate. Yeah. Okay. You think Santa Claus, Hanukkah, Harry, slash your parents need to get you all of them? Hanukkah Harry? (laughs) Well, they can get me at least uh, three of them.
3: Oh, that's very
1: sweet. Okay, I'll see what we can do.
5: Hi, I'm
0: Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah.
3: And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird?
0: Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today.
3: Check out our episodes where we welcome hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg.
4: That's it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonard DiCaprio. <laughs> As a
3: high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself.
0: Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the
4: iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce my family my career i'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer the ups and the downs everything that i've learned from it it's going to be a wild ride so listen to let's be clear with shannon doherty on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts
6: hey i'm bruce bozzi on the last season of table for two we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.